Well, good morning, Sailorville, and a very happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there watching online as well. Happy Father's Day. I hope you're off to a great one today. And I invite you to take your Bibles, if you brought one, and find Psalm 103. Psalm 103, as we continue our series, Theology on Fire. It's our commitment and conviction that theology, that is what we believe about God and everything else about God, doesn't have to be just dry bones stuff. Just, it's, it's, this isn't just an information dump, but this should be stuff that invigorates us in our walk with God. And I think the 103rd Psalm is one of those psalms that has embedded within it uh, theology that's on fire. Let me see if I can prove that to you. Notice it's a psalm of David. That's important because we'll come back to that. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I pray that every time I have a birthday these days. <laughs> the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and aren't you glad? And abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide or strive, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and last I checked, they don't meet again when they're going the other way, opposite directions. So far as he removed his transgressions, our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and he's gone. His place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. By the way, this is the, you should underline that 20th verse because that, and put uh, Matthew 6 there because anytime you pray, uh, your kingdom come, uh, your will be done on earth, what? As it is in heaven, there's your illustration of it right there. The angels in heaven always hearken to do the will of God, always, and that's what you're praying. You're saying, God, I wanna be like the angels that you send forth always obedient. Bless the Lord, all his host, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my 
soul. And all God's people said. Just the other day I was out and about and I ran into a woman that I had not seen in many years. She formerly attended this church. And uh, so I was surprised to see her. She was startled to see me. In fact, so much so, she just bloop, just kind of vomited out what was going on in her life. She goes, I mean, I mean, I can't believe I'm seeing you. I said, well, what, what, what happened? She goes, I mean, last night I was cleaning the house, and I was thinking about my godly father who passed away a few years earlier, and thinking about a sermon you, you preached many years ago on having a hard heart. And she said, that changed my hard heart. And now I bump into you. Talk about the providence of God. And that got me thinking a little bit about hearts. The hearts of those who've been impacted by their imperfect earthly fathers. And I want to present to you and to all of you, whether, you're, whether you had a great dad, mediocre dad, no dad at all, not one to speak of anyway. I present to you the perfect father. A.W. Tozer said in his opening line in The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And that is a true statement. If you ask me what, frust what frustrates me most about Christians, mind you, I would have to say is, is Many Christians' view of God is so bizarro. It's like, a, it's like a circus mirror. And it's very discouraging to me because when our views of God are less than what Scripture teaches us they should be, we, we, we create heretical beliefs. We, we, even, we even behave heretically. That's why we said last week, God made man in his own image, and man returned the favor. And by that, we're talking about our tendency to bring God down to our level, our experience, our limitations. And thus, we create this circus mirror kind of a look at God. He's sort of a, a caricature of sorts. And God recognized that that's our tendency and our sinful humanness to do that. That's why he said, you thought I was exactly like you. Which, of course, we're not. And while systematic theology attempts to compartmentalize the different, the different attributes of God, we, on the other hand, tend to focus on the ones we like most. And that's why we develop these bizarre views of God. Evelyn Underhill couldn't have said it best when she said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. Boom, shakalaka. J.D. Greer adds, most Americans want a God who is only slightly bigger, slightly smarter version of us. To them, God says in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord, nor my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. Amen? Behold your God. 
Solomon, the young Solomon, declared before the entire congregation of Israel, the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. If the very heavens cannot contain God, neither can I fully proclaim God. And while we won't cover every attribute of God, we can honor him, we can exalt him in the ones we do, can we not? That is a theology on fire. Now, last week we said that God created us in his own image, and so the response might be, well, yes, but then we sinned. I mean, didn't that change everything? Hmm? Well, yes and no. Because on the flip side of your Bible, James tells us, with our tongue we bless the Lord our, our, uh, our, and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in his image. So the image, in other words, sinful or not, and we're all sinners, right? The image is still there. It's just a busted image. It's a broken image taking on all kinds of different brokenness in our lives. All of us are broken. Some of us are, just look more broken. That's not meant to be funny. It's just true. You'll remember a few years ago, I gave the illustration of the little girl that was out on the driveway while her dad was changing the oil in his, his car. Some of the oil spilled onto the concrete. The sun hit the oil, and you've ever seen spent oil with the sun hitting it? She looked at it, and she goes, Daddy, somebody broke the rainbow. We long for the day that our rainbows are restored to glory, right? Until then, Christians are to strive to be more like Jesus because we're not like Jesus yet anyway. We do that, according to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, by beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And in so doing, we're transformed into his image. So it's becoming by beholding. The irony of, all, the irony of it all is it's a two-way mirror. As we stare into the perfect image of God, God is staring back at us into our image in the process of changing us to be more into his. Let me explain. No, no, let Malachi explain. Malachi likens God to a refiner who, watch this, sits. Here's how he puts it. He, God, will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver before the sons of Levi. So here's the picture of God looking at us. God is likened as a refiner of silver. The process is called cupellation. It's when the silversmith would sit before the cauldron, stoking it to intensify the heat, to turn the silver into molten, and then in the process, he'd be taking the slag off, putting additives, all for the, impu for the purity of the silver. And just when the silver was just right, because if the, if the refiner kept the silver over that intense heat too long, it ruins the silver. So that's why it says he sits before the silver. And when does he know the silver is just right? When he can see his own image in the silver. It's a two-way mirror. We stare at God, God stares back at us. He is the refiner. 
And some of you are in the cauldron right now. We all are in the cauldron. That's the whole process of sanctification. Some of us, the heat is really stoked in your lives. To some, it's not so hot, but it will be. Because God is all about being a refiner who is turning us into becoming more like Jesus until we do look like Jesus. I would have appreciated one amen out of that, but whatever. (laughs) Beholding, beholding by becoming. Behold God. And we said last week, we talked about his greatness in those omnis. Omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's holy, he's self-existent, he's all-sustaining, he's sovereign over all things, and he is worthy. And Today, on this Father's Day, I would like to present to you the perfect dad, the perfect father. I've not been a perfect father, not even close. My children have seen the broken side of my rainbow more often than I care to remember. But what do you know? I don't have to remember. They remind me. (laughs) So here is God, our perfect Father, who demonstrates his perfection first by forgiving us completely. Some of you have never been forgiven. You don't even know what it means to be forgiven. If you're forgiven by God, it's a complete forgiveness. Look at verse 3. This is speaking of God who forgives what? All your iniquity. Heals all your diseases. Verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Our Father God forgives completely. And this is all, verse 3, all, forgives all of our iniquities. Reminds us of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I had a a dear widow friend many years ago. Her name was May. Really, really sharp lady. Very intelligent. And one of her her favorite verse was Micah 7 uh, and verse 19, the, the latter half of it. Uh, This is what it says. It says that God will cast our sins into the sea, in the deepest sea. Isn't that cool? That was one of her favorite verses. She used to say, you know, when God took my sins and put them in the deepest sea, she said, he put a sign out there that said, no fishing. And that's true. It's true because Father God forgives completely. My son It's always nice to have 10 kids. They never know which one you're talking about. (laughs) My son, uh, studying for law enforcement, had to take a polygraph test recently. And he was telling me, he was just really, just really, you know, just weirded him out. He was just, he hates tests anyway. And just, oh, dad, I got to do that. It's like, it's like I had to confess sins I'd already been forgiven of. And he did fine, by the way. Here's the deal. When God forgives completely, we don't have to keep confessing them 
because we're not culpable for them anymore. We should confess them in the, in the process of cultivating humility. We should be acknowledging them, not hiding from them, but we're not culpable for them anymore because our Father God forgives completely. Again, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Remember who wrote this? David did. This psalm was written in the latter part of David's life. He undoubtedly was thinking about adultery and murder, things God could easily have been uh, dealing with, holding against, but he didn't. There's forgiveness with God, amen? Praise the Lord, not only for what he has done, but for what he hasn't done in your life. And by the way, when it says he not, does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities, and said he dealt with his son according to our sins. He repaid Jesus according to our iniquities. How nice was that? Perfect. Perfect. Secondly, I commend him to you as the perfect father because of his... He, 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 does, he shows his perfection by loving us perpetually. You see this repeated in here in verse 8. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And if you didn't catch it there, verse 11, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. I mean, God even in his own self-identification with Moses in Exodus 34 said this. This is what he said in Exodus 34. He said, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but to all who will by, he'll by no means clear the guilty, and he finishes by saying, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. But twice he reminds us that he is abounding in steadfast love. It is his nature. So if holiness, because that's the only trice mentioned you know, attribute of God, if holiness is the foundation of all of God's attributes. Love is the superstructure of them. The walls, the floor, the walls, the ceiling, the roof. You know, you, you can put down mercy and grace and uh, but put love, loving mercy, loving grace, loving justice. Everything is loving about God because God is love. Amen. God's love is shown in Scripture. It's demonstrated in Scripture. And, and you can just take a picture of this when it's all said and done. I'll go quickly. In several ways. One, his mutual love between himself and his son. Jesus said in John, th in John 3, the father loves the son. But he also said in John 14, I love the father. It's a mutual, eternal, divine, and holy love. Secondly, his particular love for the nation of Israel. God has a particular love. And we're told why he loved them and why he chose them. Because they were just the most specialist people ever created. Amen? No. 
Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because, wait for it, because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his father. Just getting any circular stuff going on here. God says, I, I didn't love you because of this. I loved you because, because I loved you. How's that? God doesn't have to explain anything to you and me. Just be thankful for that love, amen? And he does love the nation of Israel. It's a peculiar love. Thirdly, God demonstrates his love in Scripture by his sacrificial love for sinful humanity. Quote it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whos I'm not hearing you, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is a sacrificial love. A fourth way that God demonstrates his love in Scripture is his intimate love that he has for his redeemed children. That's those of you who are born again, and I don't assume you're all saved, but those of you that really are saved, he has an intimate love with you. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. I didn't say that. That's what the Bible says. 1 John 3, verse 1. And fifth, his unconditional love for his church. When the Apostle Paul is writing about husbands and the way they ought to love their wives, he says, if you do it the way Christ, what? Love the church unconditionally. Jesus didn't love us because he saw something particular about us. He loved us because he loved us, amen? And demonstrated it. Surely, God is love. I love the story of Spurgeon. You don't often hear stories where he gets rebuffed. Spurgeon was walking along an English countryside one day with uh, an evangelist, and they were having some hearty conversation. They came across uh, the cupola of a barn, and there, wa there was a, <laughs> there was a, well, look, there was a vein. This isn't it. There was a weather vane. On the arrow, said, it said, God is love. And Spurgeon looked at that, and he said, that is really, that's just stupid. I don't agree with that, he said. That's like saying God, God, God's love changes as the wind blows. To which the evangelist said, no, that's not what it's saying. What that's saying is, no matter which way the wind blows, God is love. Because he is. And he loves perpetually. If you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are given everlasting life. Amen? It's not life until you screw up so much, you're out. I was a child that screwed up a lot. I was never out of my family. My kids have screwed up, and you've heard of half those screw-ups. They, they remain my kids because I love them. How much more your perfect father in heaven, amen? How much more? It is who forgives us completely, loves us perpetually, and fathers us compassionately. This is the third thing I want to, fathering us compassionately. Please draw your attention to verse 13. 
as a father shows, say the word, compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The word compassion here is, is sort of akin to the English, or the, um, rather the uh, Greek word compassion in the New Testament. This Hebrew word is, is visceral. It's, it, it, it speaks of just an intense, an absolute intense kind of compassion that God as a father has for us. In fact, this word was used for a mother when her milk was coming in. It's actually related to the word womb in Hebrew. We, even our English word, it's you're, you women, and by the way, this is a little something because I didn't preach to the moms on Mother's Day. This is your little vignette here, okay? Woman. That's the word womb. That's where that is. I bet many of you already knew that. Some of you probably didn't. This is a very, very deep and powerful word when it speaks of our Father's compassion for us. And it, it, I know what you're thinking. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, nobody could love like a mother, right? God can. There's something very motherly about God, and that's not a heretical statement. Isaiah told us as much when he said, Can a woman forget her nursing child? Like, not, not have compassion? He uses the same word. On the son of her womb? Well, she might, but I won't. Amen? That's what God says. Fatherly compassion. So here's the great King Solomon who would follow David. He's young. And many of you remember the story. It's a, it's a famous story. It exalted him as the wisest man around. So here's two women, two mothers, two prostitutes, two mothers, two nursing mothers, having had babies days apart. Remember the story? One of them dies. The mother whose baby dies stealthily takes the living baby away from the other mother, putting the dead baby there next to that mother, and the argument ensues. The next thing you know, they're standing before King Solomon, and they're pleading their case. The living baby is mine. No, the living baby is mine. No, it's mine. Back and forth. Solomon's sitting on his throne judging. He says, one says it's hers, the other says it's hers. Here, soldier, cut the thing in half and give, one, give part to her and give the other part to her. And what happens? The real mom, with compassion, says, no, 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 give it to her, give it to her. Which, of course, was the thing that led Solomon to know who the real mother was. The compassionate mother, the real one was willing to give up her son for a liar. Your compassionate father did the exact same thing. He gave up his son for a bunch of liars like you and me. Hallelujah. Why would he do that? Why would God show such compassion upon the, his humanity? He's always saying he created it. There's more to that. Verse 14 tells us why. Because he remembers our frame. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're what? It's dust. The Hebrew word dust literally carries the idea of coming something coming apart. 
We're coming apart. All of us are coming apart. We're all busted, amen? And we continue to come apart. You didn't just screw up once. You continue to screw up. And God knows that. I remember as a brand new Christian reading through my Bible for the very first time and coming upon Psalm 78 and reading this history of Israel and how they would screw up. They would be judged. They'd seek forgiveness. They'd screw up. They'd, they'd say they're sorry. God would forgive them. They'd screw up. So it just oh, I can, I'm reading it for the first time. I literally came to verse 38, and I literally, I, I was holding my Bible thinking, oh my goodness, God, why are you putting up with these people? And then I read 39 and instantly memorized it. Then he remembered that they were but flesh as a wind that passes by and doesn't come again. That is your compassionate father because as you get to know him, know that he thoroughly knows you. Amen? God is referred to as father in the Old Testament just a handful of times. So much so that Jews to this day do not like calling God father. In fact, they despise anybody who does so. They did not appreciate it when Jesus kept calling God his father. They were particularly annoyed with him. So much so in John 5, remember, uh, Jesus said, well, my father's working and I'm working. And they said, that's it. They picked up stones. Because it says in John 5, 18, he said God was his father, making himself equal with God. Have you ever read that? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an affirmation of the deity of Jesus. Every time Jesus addressed God, he called him Father. Every time. Every single time. Absolutely every time. Except for one time. Only one time did Jesus ever address his Father without calling him Father. You remember when? Yeah. Yeah at the cross. At the cross, when the great separation was taking place, the eternal communion of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that had taken place up to the moment as he bore our sins in his body on that tree, he cried out, not Father, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Perfect. What a perfect heavenly father we have. That he would give up his own son. To a place where the intimacy would be broken. So that he could take you and me. And bring us into his family. Some of you need forgiveness today. You've never been forgiven. You don't know the feeling or the experience of having all of your sins taken away. Father God will forgive you completely if you'll come to him through his son who died and rose for you. Some of you feel unloved, especially when you think about your dad. Your dad 
wasn't around. I had somebody come to me just an hour ago and said, that was me. I never had a dad to love me, to rear me, to hug me, to praise me, to affirm me, to discipline me, to speak a strong word to me. It just wasn't there, and you just need that today. Behold the God who will love you perpetually. And some of you just, you just need a divine hug from God. You just need that. And he is here to give it to you. Behold your God. Do you know him? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we love you and bless your name. We thank you for your word, for its truth, and for the, for the ability to have a theology that's on fire. And please give that to us, Lord. Such a knowledge of you that as we behold you, to know that you're beholding us. And in our striving to look more like Jesus, you're the one making it happen. We thank you, Lord, that you sit in front of the cauldron that we are in. You don't let it get too hot. But you allow it to get just hot enough so that you'll see yourself a little bit better in our lives. Help us to that end. We pray, Lord, as we behold your love, we thank you for its perpetuous, it's so perpetual, never ending. I pray that there would be somebody here today who would come into that love by faith in your son Jesus, experience forgiveness and the compassion that never ends. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.